love this church. I love my pastor. I'm thankful for my pastor. I know I've got kind of a unique situation where he is my son, but I'm thankful for a good pastor. I do think he's good. Amen. Amen. I thank you for being here today. Amen. For coming in and taking time to give God some honor and some worship. Amen. Um, today I'm going to talk about the, the day that Jesus calmed a storm. That's going to be the, this, the part in the Bible where we're going to go to, but uh, I'm going to do some things leading up to that, but I want to pray here before we get started. Amen. Lord, we thank you for this day, and I thank you, Lord God, amen, for the word, Lord God, that you've given us, and I love this word, and I thank you, Lord God, that it can give life to me, Lord Jesus. I pray that you be with us, Lord, as we open up this word and we learn from it. I pray, Lord God, that you be with our hearts, that we receive it, Lord God, that it would, Lord God, help us, Lord God, in our walk with you, that the kingdom of God would be stronger, amen, tomorrow than it was today, and that we would continue to build that kingdom, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So the, the story of the storm, you all know this, the story of the storm on the sea and Jesus calms the storm. And we're going to get to that here in the story. Uh, but we see that in four or of the four different gospels. We see that story in three of the different gospels. Uh, in the book of John, uh, he doesn't mention this story, but... Uh, in the book of Luke, in the book of Matthew, he does. But I'm going to use the book of Mark today uh, to uh, talk about this story. Actually, I'm going to talk about the whole day leading up to what happened on the sea. And uh, just to give some preface of, of really what leads up, up to all this, I'm going to go back to and think of, you know, I want you to think of the life of Jesus up to this point. Okay, so Jesus, this is actually, this happens early in Jesus' ministry, uh, or fairly early, I should say. Uh, Some events that had happened, of course, uh, the thing that really started Jesus' ministry is his baptism, his baptism with John. He comes to John, John the Baptist, uh, and and is is baptized. And and at that, that event, we see... It says that God's voice spoke. And in some of the Gospels, it tells, it explains that John, it was Jesus, that God had spoke to John prior to this and told him that this would be a sign that this is the Messiah, that some of these things would happen. One of the things he said is that he would speak to him, that a a dove would would land upon him or a, a Something in the shape of a dove. You know, there was different signs. And one of them was that, that God would actually speak. And God, God did. And God said, thou, thou art my beloved son. He proclaimed to John and those that were in attendance there that day that this was God's son. So they heard it right from God. They, you know, God spoke uh, in old times, that's how he spoke to his prophets and stuff all the time because they didn't have this written word. Eventually, they had the Torah and so forth, but, but they, they, God spoke to him. And then we can go right after that is the story of, of a John in, or a Jesus in the wilderness. It says the Spirit drove him into the wilderness. 
that drove him into the wilderness for 40 days. He was, he was at 40 days, he was fasting in the wilderness. And uh, uh, we, we can read all the different things that happened there. It says he was hungered. He was tempted by the devil. It says the angels ministered unto him. So we see, we can see how it says he fasted and that he was hungry. So we can start to see the humanity part of God or of Jesus, the humanity part of him coming out, you know, during this time. And then at the, the, the very, right after that, then we, he starts, he comes in and starts the, what we might say is the Galilean uh, ministry of Jesus. His, his ministry actually starts there in Galilee, around the, Gal- the Sea of Galilee, that area, the, the different cities around there. Uh, and it says that he's, he begins by preaching the kingdom of God is at hand. The, the Israelites had always, you know, they always looked forward to the day that their Messiah would come. And Jesus is proclaiming that the kingdom of God is at hand. It is now. And he, so he's preaching this abroad. And of course, just like today, you know, you can say things. That doesn't mean everybody's going to believe it. So, so then Jesus goes on and he, he starts not only preaching, but he starts doing things that starting to prove who he is. You start seeing miracles. You start seeing uh, different things like that. And, and while he's doing that, he's going around and he's starting to choose his 12 apostles. We can read the story uh, of, of him, you know, coming by the seaside. And, and the first ones he really picks is John and his brother, uh, Ann, I think it's Andrew. And he, he just the different, you know, he goes all through and he starts picking his, his, his apostles. And, of course, the first miracle that we read in the Bible is where he turns water into wine. He does that in Galilee. He does... He does uh, uh, he starts teaching in synagogues. Um, and what amazed them is how he taught with authority. You know, they, they'd, go, they'd go to synagogue every Sabbath. You know, but there was something different about this Jesus. And, in fact, while he would be teaching, unclean spirits that came to church were present in the church, just began to speak out to him. He didn't call them. They just began to speak out. And when they would speak out to him, you know, they were saying, you know, you know, have mercy on us. You know, thou art the son of God. They started proclaiming that he was the son of God. And these people, when they seen that, they seen, you know, they, they knew there's something different about this Jesus. This rabbi is, is different than any rabbi we've ever seen. There's something different that has got, he's got the authority that we have never seen. I mean, he speaks to them and the, the, the spirits would come out of the people and be gone. He even control, he didn't just, you know, have these great words to say, but he actually could control a spirit, an unclean spirit and demand it to come out of a person and it would do that. So they knew. You know, that there was something different about him. He wasn't, you know, but they knew he was a man. But they knew, you know, there's something a little bit different about him. And so, 
you know, when he does this, uh, of course, they were all amazed. And, and, and the, the, the word of what he was doing, these events were starting to spread. And, and, and uh, I would say they probably called him the miracle working prophet. You know, because they'd seen prophets or heard and read about prophets of old that could do things, you know, different things. Elijah, you know, did many things. Uh, Elisha. We have, we have in the Old Testament many accounts of, of what we would call miracles, you know, people that were actually raised from the dead. Uh, so they, they would think of Jesus as being this, this prophet. You know, he's, you know we're, John's saying this is the Messiah, and John's apostles are all saying this is the Messiah, but we're not sure. You know, but, but now they're starting to see you know, these things that you know, they've never seen before in their life. But they've heard of maybe some of these things. So they're, they're, not, they're still wondering probably in their minds, you know, who this really is. So, so yes, as his, as his fame starts to spread, uh, we, we can read stories leading up to this day how Jesus heals many. One of the first things he does after, uh, you know, going out of the synagogue one day, he goes to Peter's house. And, and Peter's mother-in-law is there, is sick with a, a very high fever. And, and he prays for her, and, and the fever leaves. She gets up out of bed, and she's, she's, uh, I love the, uh, the story, the, uh, the, uh, movie that's out, uh, Chosen. I don't know if any of you have watched that, that whole scene of that happening, and how she's been sick in bed for several days, or actually probably a month, but she, you know, she can't, I mean, she is really sick to the, almost to the point of death, and, and Jesus comes and prays for her, and she just gets up right away and gets up and goes, you know, what are you guys doing? Let's go have supper. Let's get some supper. And, she, and she's just totally healed. And so things like that, they start seeing all these things. He heals a leper. He heals a man with a palsy who was actually lowered through a roof because there was so many people. He was teaching in this house, and they, they couldn't get this man. His friends couldn't get him to Jesus to be prayed for because it was so many people so they thought well let's go up on the roof and let's drop him down through the roof and then Jesus you know can can do his his miracle that's the the miracle God or the miracle man and so we see that but there's so many people there and even even some of the scribes and some of the, the actual religious leaders of the day they're starting to wonder too who this man is they're starting to hear rumors, so they're, they're kind of checking him out. And there happened to be some scribes there that day. And Jesus, before he ever heals him, he says, Thy sins be forgiven thee. And these scribes are like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Only God can forgive sins. Who do you think you are? And so the, the religious community or the religious leaders, they start to, you know, really go on the defensive, like, this man is, he's blaspheming God. He thinks he's God, which we know he was. But they didn't, they didn't know that. And so, so they start to, to really come against him. We see also, we, we can read the story of Jesus uh, healing the man with a withered hand. We might think, well, you know, he did a lot of things. But he did that on a Sabbath day, on a Sunday. 
And to the Jew, you don't work. The Pharisees, they're the ones who, who uh, define work. You can only walk so many steps a day. You can only pick up so much weight. You can only do these things. They, they put little, little laws in there on everything. Well, one of the laws was, as a minister, you don't even heal somebody on a Sabbath day. Can you imagine that? I mean, on, this, on the, God's day, God can't even do his work. They had so many rules against it. But, but Jesus did that. He, he healed this man's, you know, and, and, and actually before he did it, he, could, he, he perceived and he knew what they were thinking. He knew, you know, because this man, uh, he told him to come forth. And the man comes forth and he has this withered hand. He, he'd been born that way. And Jesus, uh, he knew that they were, they were thinking, oh, he's not going to do this on the Sabbath, is he? And he did. He did it. And they, of course, they, they go into a tizzy, you know, just thinking, you know, who does this guy think he is? We can read in some of the other accounts. We don't see this in Mark, but in Luke. We can see where Jesus actually uh, healed a servant, a centurion's servant who had the palsy, was grievously tormented. Uh, he actually didn't even go touch, you know, lay hands on him. He just, the servant said, or the centurion said, you know, I'm not worthy that you would even come into my house. He says, so if you'll just say it, I believe it, and he'll be healed. And he was. So Jesus had this power that he didn't even have to be there, didn't have to touch him. But actually, you know, healing, healing happened. Uh, we see, uh, we can read the story of, also in Luke, of the widow's son that was raised from the dead. Jesus raised the widow's son from the dead. In Luke, we can read where Jesus, uh, he was, his feet had been washed by the tears of a woman who was a sinner, a great sinner that says, he was, he was actually, Jesus was actually at a, one of the Sadducees who, and there was religious leaders who were curious and were trying to understand and, and really, you know, thought maybe this is the, the Messiah. And this one, his, his name actually, it says it was Simon, I believe. And, and uh, he had invited Jesus to come eat with him and to, so he could talk with him. And while they're doing that, this woman just comes in and she starts she, she goes to Jesus' feet and she's crying and she, she washes his feet with her tears and she, she breaks open this alabaster box. You, you know the story of the alabaster box and how she anoints his feet and, and she, she, uh, she just weeps over him. And, and Jesus forgives her. He says, I forgive you, you know, of your sins. Go and sin no more. And again, you know, he's doing this right in front of these leaders and they're like, this man thinks he's God. He really thinks he's God. And so he's starting to get a following, but he's also getting a following of those who are against him. And then we see, as, as the crowds start getting bigger, as the, as the, it says there was a great multitude that began to follow him. And this great multitude really began to follow him. He's in Samaria. And, and, and actually, they, they start following him really because they're seeing all these miracles. It's, it's you know, and, and the apostles actually said in one, one place in the Bible, it says that, you know, 
they were concerned because they were just following because of all the things, you know, the miracles they were seeing. It wasn't really because, you know, that they knew who he was and they believed what he said. But it was, it was like they were, they were there just being wooed by all the things. But anyhow, there was this great multitude. And actually last night, you know, I had I'd done all my studying and I was tired and, and we laid down in bed. My wife, she turns on the, the TV and she turns on the, the Chosen. We hadn't, man, we hadn't watched that, any of those for, I don't know, probably six months at least. Anyhow, she turns it on, and here it's, it's the story. It's the one where, it's, where uh, you know, he's in Samaria, and he's healing these people. So I got a glimpse of, you know, I think, thank Brother Jenkins, Brother Dallas Jenkins, who produced that, for giving me a little bit of a visual of a, this multitude and how this multitude kept coming and kept coming and became so big that the, it became very tedious for the apostles and for Jesus. They, began, they got, began to be very weary. They were very tired. Uh, it was like they were being overwhelmed. Uh, but it, nonetheless, uh, you know, Jesus stayed about his business. It's, and it says in, in one place, it says that he wouldn't turn anyone away. He wouldn't stop, you know, shut the door and say, we're done for tonight. He would stay, you know, wherever he needed to be until the last person was taken care of. And, but it, it started to wear on his body. You see, the apostles were starting to see the, the humanity side of Jesus. They were seeing that he, he was weak, just like they would get weak. You know, he wouldn't, he would get so busy, he wouldn't stop to eat. And they knew he needed to eat. They'd seen it before. They had been with him long enough now that they'd seen all the humanity parts. You know, he was no different than us in his physical body, they said. And so they were starting to get concerned about him. And, and uh, in one, one uh, place, it, it says that, that it, he'd become so weary that, that some of the, uh, the scribes that were there, they, they thought he was going crazy. That Jesus was going crazy and that he was, that they accused him of healing these people because he was working with Satan. You see, there were sorcerers, there was wicked people, witches, whatever you want to call them, at that time that, that could do, you know, certain things. Just like, you know, we, we read in Moses how Moses would do something. Well, then Pharaoh would have his magicians and they'd do something. But anyhow... So we see, you know, some of these uh, things that were happening, and they would accuse him of, of uh, working with the devil. Of course, Jesus rebuked him and took care of that. But, but yeah, they, they constantly, they were against him in all these things. So um, another thing we can see is this Sermon on the Mount and how they were astonished at the, the authority that he had when he taught the Sermon on the Mount. But then it... As, as we get to about that area, to, to where the, you know, he taught that Sermon on the Mount, that somewhere right in there, it doesn't say exactly what, where that day started, that the storm happened. But it's, it does say, it, goes, it says, you know, that same day. So we know that he, he had been doing lots of teaching. And I believe uh, it starts really, the day probably starts 
I would say here in, in chapter 4, if you have your Bibles of Mark, I'm going to read through this because I think it's, uh, or at least parts of it, because I think it is uh, very uh, graphic in, in what, what happens on that day. Uh, in chapter 4, I'm not going to go through all because it would take too much time, but we're going to talk about, you know, one of the one of the parables. So Jesus is teaching. You have to see this picture of, you know, Jesus, he's been doing all these things. The, the multitudes are getting so great. Every day they're coming. But he, uh, on this day, he's teaching in parables. And what is a parable? A parable is a short story that is designed to teach a truth or a principle or moral lessons. So, um, actually, this style of preaching—if you—if you read Luke in the Book of Acts, you'll see that style of teaching is what Luke uses. Really, he uses a lot of little stories to tell what's going on, or to give an example of what uh, would happen. So, anyhow, um, so Jesus begins to teach. And, and the, the crowd is getting so big, and he, he finally, I mean, they're starting to, you know, because the, they're wanting to come and just get prayed for. And so they're, they're coming at him and wanting to just touch him to the point where, you know, it's becoming almost dangerous for him. And so Jesus, Jesus tells his, his apostles, he says, could fetch me a boat. Maybe I could go out on the sea and, and preach from a boat. So that's what they do. They, they get this boat, and he... he uh, he teaches some parables, and I'm going to pick just one of those parables, and it's, it's the parable of the sower, the very first one here in chapter 4. And it says, And he began to teach by the seaside, and there were gathered unto him a great multitude, so that he entered into a ship. And he sat in the sea, and the whole multitude was by the sea on the land. And he taught them many things par- by, by parables, and said unto them in his doctrine, Hearken, behold, there went out a sower to sow. There went out a sower to sow. And it, became, and it came to pass, as he sowed, some fell by the wayside, and the fowls of the air came and devoured it up. And some fell on stony ground, where it had not much earth. And immediately it sprang up, because it had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, it was scorched, and because it had no root, it withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no fruit. And other fell on good ground, and did yield fruit that sprang up and increased, and brought forth some thirty, and some sixty, and some an hundred. And he said unto them, He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. So this was the parable that he gave to them, the first parable that he gave to the, to the multitude. And, and uh, I would say probably after each one of these, they probably took a little break. And his, his apostles come to, to Jesus and they, they're like, can you explain exactly what you, you, know, what you were teaching? I don't think they, they understood it fully and they wanted to understand it. And in verse... I believe it's verse 10. It says, And when he was alone, they that were about him with the twelve asked of him the parable. And he said unto them, 
It is, it is given to know the mystery. It is given unto you to know the mystery of the kingdom of God, but unto them that are without, all these things are done in parables. You know, and I found that, just that scripture right there, very interesting. That Jesus, he says, it's for you because you are my church. It's given unto you. It's going to be given unto you to know what I'm saying. But unto those that are not, that are with, it says without, that's talking about the world. Those that are not a part of the kingdom of God. To them, it's going to be spoken in parables, in these little stories. They're going to have to hunger for it. They're going to have to search for it themselves because, because I'm not just going to throw it out there and let it be tossed in the wind. I want them to be hungry enough to, to actually seek it out for themselves. And he said unto them, or, and, and seeing that they may see and not perceive, the hearing that they may hear and not understand, lest at any time they should be converted and their sins should be forgiven. And he said unto them, Know ye not this parable, and how then will ye know all parables? And so, starting with verse 14, he's going to go into explaining this parable to the apostles. Starting in verse 14, he says, The sower that soweth, the sower soweth the word. So the sower is sowing the word. The, the sower would throw out seed. He's saying that seed is really, it's the word. It is the preaching. It is the, the word of God. It is the word. Verse 15, And these are they by the wayside. Okay? So here he's saying, I talked about the wayside. Where the word is sown... But when they have heard, Satan cometh immediately and taketh away the word that was sown in their hearts. So the wayside is those whose hearts are hard. Maybe they've been in church and they've heard the word. They've heard the truth. But they're hard. They don't believe it. They, they, they automatically reject it and do nothing about it. They don't accept it. That is those that were that were by the wayside, the, the seed that was cast out that says the birds of the air ate it. It was taken away. The devil came right away and took it away from them. So the word had no effect on them. And then in verse 16 it says, And these are they likewise which are sown on stony ground. So now we're talking about, he's talking about, the seed that fell on the stony ground. Who then, they have heard the word, immediately received it with gladness. So they, they might have been in church, heard the word, believed it, received it, and it started to take root. Started to take root in their life. You started to see some of the, the things changing in them. You started seeing uh, a little bit of growth. But their roots, it says, but they have no root. They have no depth of root. And, and so if they can't endure, but they, they endure but just for a short time. And afterward, when affliction or persecution ariseth for the world's sake, immediately they're offended. So their hearts receive that word initially, but they are quickly offended and it dries up and becomes of no, no use to them. 
as soon as they have problems in their life or as soon as persecution for maybe maybe uh, somebody found out that they actually want to change their life and they want to follow, you know, the word of God. You know, the world, they're famous making fun of you. Sorry to say, even sometimes I've heard of kids that will go home from, and from receiving the Holy Ghost. They'll go home and their parents will discourage them from going back to that church. You know, the, the devil's constantly trying to take that seed away from you. Constantly. And so, and it says here that, you know, they are offended. They are offended because it's, it's become too hard. They think it's become too hard and I can't do this. And in verse 18, it says, And these are they which are sown among thorns, such as hear the word, and the cares of this world, and the deceitfulness of riches, and the lust of the things enter in, choke the word, and it becometh unfruitful. And these are they which are sown on... Oh, I'm going to stop. Anyhow, so those sown among thorns, that's those who hear God's word, they receive it, but before long, before you know, too much time, that... You know, they let the things of the world crowd it out. They don't get into the word. The worries of life have become more important to them. Their job. I need to make more money because I have more toys. I got more payments. So the lure of wealth. Listening to the wrong people. Can even be a thorn in your life. False teaching. Be careful who you, you know, if somebody's going to try to give you biblical, religious, you know, advice, pull out your Bible, make sure it lines up with what's in this word. Because I believe there's even good, good meaning people who are just led astray and, and they, they'll, they'll, Take you right down the wrong path with them. So, so people can do it. Fame. Some people, you know, they see fame and, and they just start, you know, putting this, the word of God. They start putting living for God on the, on the shelf. And next thing you know, they're doing everything that the people in the world are doing. And even just the busyness of life, it chokes out the fruit in their life. As that as, a, as a, a, a stalk of wheat starts to grow, eventually that stalk of wheat is made to bear fruit. But, you know, if we don't tend to that, we don't cultivate and pull out the thorns and pull out the weeds that are sucking all the nutrients, you know, that it might, it might slowly keep growing, but it never will produce fruit. It never will have enough sustenance to produce any fruit. And that's exactly what Jesus is telling them. Is don't let the cares of this life. Don't let people uh, misguide you. Don't let you know things get so busy in your life. That you don't have time. To, to really understand God. And to really serve him. To really worship him. So. So. That. You know. 
let them, you know, don't let them thorns and the things that are around you determine your destiny. Pluck them out. Do some cultivating. If, if you've been growing and you feel stagnant or you feel like, you know, you've, you've gone backwards, there's probably some thorns somewhere you need to pull out of your life. There's things in your life you need to, you need to t- do a check on. So listen to God. When he's speaking to you, listen to it. Don't dismiss it. And then in verse 20, there's the good ground. It says, and they which were sown on good ground, such as hear the word and receive it and bring forth fruit, some 30-fold, some 60, and some 100. So, so those whose hearts were moved by God, they received God's word. They, they hide it in their heart. They, they study. They, they get that, that deep down in their soul. They water it. They feed it. They weed it out. They weed out all the junk. They cherish God's word. Their actions, their actions show fruit. See, actions speak way louder than words. We can say it. We can say, I'm a Christian. We can say, you know, I, I believe this, I do this. But your actions are really what, what defines you. Their speech, their speech, the fruit of their speech is good. Their appearance is good. It's, it's godly. Their fruit is growing in abundance and it, and it multiplies. And then it spills over into lives around them and begins to multiply. Uh, pastor's been talking about a lot about multiplication of how we need to witness. You know, the church, is, in the beginning, the church didn't only grow one or two here. They began to multiply. And that's exactly when, when God, you know, fills you up. There's no, no way you can contain it all, and it falls over onto those around you. They're going to be affected by you. So that, that was one of the parables that Jesus taught to the multitude, the great multitude. But then he went back and he explained it in detail to the apostles. And he did this many times in these, these parables. He would explain them. And, and he'll explain to the church, he'll give us, you know, the word, but he'll also, eventually he will explain it to you so that you know and don't have questions. Now, we all probably have questions about certain things, and I, whenever I do a Bible study with somebody, I encourage as many questions as you can get. I tell them there's no question that is dumb. There's no question that is too little, you know, Ask, because if you keep asking, you know, wondering all these things, you, you're just always in limbo. So, you know, ask these questions. I might not have the answers, but, you know, together we can find the answers. And then, so that brings us to the end of the day. Jesus had been had teaching these parables to the, to the church, and he had been, or to the multitudes, and he had been uh, talking to them, and... Uh, he is getting late. It says in verse 35, it says, And the same day when the even was come, he saith unto them, Let us pass over to the other side. I think Jesus was beginning to feel the pressure of the multitude and how they were, it says that they thronged him. They, they really uh, were almost overpowering them. So 
he's, you know, they'd gotten into a boat to kind of get out away from them so that they couldn't, you know, get out there and just be trying to touch him and all that. So they, they're in this boat, and Jesus, he tells them, he says, you know, basically he's saying, I, I've got to get some sleep. I have got to get away, and his humanity was, was showing up. I've got to get out, away, and, and it'd be good for us all. I tell you what, those in the ministry, I, I've heard many stories of, of uh, missionaries or people who have gone on crusades and how, you know, they will get so weakened because they're constantly, I mean, the people are so hungry. They're so hungry and they keep just sucking the life out of them, really. I mean, and they keep pouring out into these people, but they're getting sucked, you know, the life is being sucked out of them. In fact, I, I, I know one uh, gentleman who had been preaching a crusade and, and uh, he would go back. He said, I'd go back to my, to my hut. He said, it was really, a, it was, it was a hut. And I would just go back and I would just be exhausted and I'd go back and I'd try to pray. He said, sometimes I'd be so tired, I couldn't even hardly pray because I'd just fall asleep. And uh, while he was doing that one time, he said, I just prayed, you know, just preached this this message to this big multitude, and, and many received the Holy Ghost. Many, he said, we've seen miracles. We've seen all these things. He says, and here I am. I go back, and I, I lay down, and I, I'm sleeping. And next thing I know, he says, an evil spirit had attacked him, was attacking him, was trying to kill him. He said, it wasn't, it wasn't a physical person. He said, it was actually, he said, it was a, I was fighting against a spirit. Spirits will attack you when you're weak. And sometimes it's just, it's even when you're weak just physically. That's that. He knows that he's got an advantage there. But, so it just happened that some of the, the, the ministers came around him. They, they checked on him and came around him and actually prayed for him and, and, and basically saved his life because this, this uh, spirit was trying to kill him. But anyhow, he... Uh, Jesus, he, he was like, we've, we've got to go to the other side. He says, if we just go across the sea, you know, we should have a, a place where we can be alone. Many times we, we read in, in Scripture where Jesus, you know, he would go out in the morning or whatever by himself, alone. Have some alone time. So that's what they did. In verse 35, uh, says, when even was come, you know, that same day when even was come, they said unto them, let's pass over to the other side. And when they had sent away the multitude, they took him even as he was in the ship. I believe Jesus, by the time they got rid of everybody, you know, told him, go home. You know, we'll be back. You know, go home and get something to eat. You know, we'll be back tomorrow. But anyhow, he's, he's, he's telling him, I think Jesus fell asleep in the boat. Back to, in some of the other... Uh, uh, gospels, it says that, you know, Jesus fell asleep. Uh, of course, later in this, in the gospel of Mark here, we read, you know, that they had to wake him up. So we do know he, he, he was sleeping. But anyhow, um, he was exhausted. He was just plain exhausted. But he said, let us pass over the sea, over the sea of Galilee unto the other side so that we can rest. You see, the sea to an ancient Israelite represents chaos. They look at the sea as being something of chaos. Truthfully, Israel, ancient Israel did not like being out on the great seas. 
they tolerated Galilee because actually Galilee, the, 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 the lake Galilee, is, is really just a modest-sized modest lake. Um, I wouldn't even know what to compare it to. Some, maybe some of you have been, been there and know how big. I, I would suppose you could probably, if you looked real good on a clear day, you could probably see across it. But anyhow, it was, it was a modest-sized modest, uh, lake. In verse 37, it says, And there arose a great storm, a wind and waves beat upon the ship so that it was now full. You see, being a small lake, and this lake is, is, is situated where it was right next to Mount Hermon. And the, the, the clouds and the, the, the winds from Mount Hermon See, Mount Hermon was a snow-covered mountain. It was a, it was a tall mountain where there was cold snow. And, but oftentimes, it says that the, the cloud, the wind would come off of the, of the mountains, and it would come out over the, the, the lake there. And then coming from the other side was warmer winds coming from the Jordanian desert and would cause these great windstorms, just massive windstorms. And you can imagine... And that's what happened on this day. It says there arose a great wind and the waves beat upon the ship so that it was now full. So the, 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 the boat's full now. And, and Jesus is sleeping back here. And, and these, the apostles, they're trying everything they can do to save themselves. They're doing everything they can do to save themselves. They're, they're probably with buckets, you know, trying to get the water out. They're pulling the sail down. They're doing everything they can and, and they, they're, they're doing it all for naught because nothing, nothing seems to be working. So these waves are beating upon the ship. So now it's full. And Jesus is sleeping. It says in verse 38, Jesus is sleeping on a pillow. It says he's in the hinder part of the ship, asleep on a pillow. And, the, and they awaked him and said, Master, Jesus, don't you care? About all the chaos going on? Don't you care about me? You ever thought that? You ever thought, Jesus, I don't, you know, I don't feel you right now. And I don't see you. I don't see you in my situation. Don't you care? Don't you care about me? I'm sure they weren't just a little quiet. You know, Jesus, don't you care? <laughs> and they're, they're worried for their lives. And so... Jesus says then in verse uh, 39, it says, and he arose. Jesus woke up and he gets up and he arose and he rebuked the wind. And he said to the sea, peace, be still. Peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. So, and he said unto them, why are ye so fearful? And how is it that ye have no faith? So Jesus, he's, he turns to the disciples after he does this. I mean, he speaks, and the weather obeys him. Now, the apostles hadn't seen this yet. This is the first time they've ever seen it. Can you imagine being out on a boat and, and all this storm, and you're sure you're going you're gonna to drown? And one of the guys get up in the boat, and they just say, Peace, be still, and it does it. They know. They know right away, this is no ordinary man. 
I have never, I mean, we've heard of the prophets and we've heard of these things, but we have never known of a man that even the winds and the seas obey him. And it says in verse, uh, verse 41, it says, And they feared exceedingly and said one to another, What manner of man is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? But Jesus told him, Don't you have faith? Where is your faith? You have me right here. You have me. You don't have nothing to worry about. You might not feel me right now. And you might not see me. But I'm here. Just have faith. Have faith. I'll take care of you. You know, they had just seen the humanity of how he was so exhausted. And then minutes later, they see how this is no ordinary man. He's no ordinary man. This man has authority like none other. And he's telling them, all that authority, all this authority really is at your disposal as long as you stay close to me. And you might think today, well, how can I stay close to him? He's in heaven. I tell you what, he's right here. He's right here for every beck and call you have, every need you have. When storms come up, the Old Testament, and the Old Testament says, is anything too hard for the Lord? Nothing. Nothing is too hard. So my question today is, do you believe? Do you really believe Jesus is who he said that he was? Do you really believe that he is bigger than your problem? Or are the storms going to drag you down? Are the thorns going to choke you out? Are the cares of this world going to rob your fruit? Is the money, your desire for more money, are these things going to choke out the fruit that God has promised to you? Because in all of that, Jesus is saying, maybe some of that, you know, maybe he's saying to you today, maybe some of these things have affected you. My answer to you is, you need to take those things in your life that are pulling you away, that are starting to rob fruit, pull them away, throw them in the compost pile. Let them become something that you can actually use to grow the kingdom of God. Take those things that have hindered me and make something good out of them, actually. Create in me a heart, Lord God, that you can grow in, produce fruit in. And I am going to trust God. In all my problems, I'm going to trust him. Because he's bigger than any problem I could ever have. The chaos is all around me, maybe. But believe me today, he is big enough. Thank you.